So you know that Easter is like the most hope-filled day of all days, right? And that's because of the things that we just sang about and what Lindsay just read uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're talking about resurrection hope this morning. That's the big theme of, of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at just three verses, verses 1 through 5. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go there. Because um, again, we'll just walk through some verses of scripture and I'll explain them a little bit. But what I want you to hear is God's word and what God has for each of us to look forward to related to having like some sort of a hope in the resurrection. Easter Sunday is an interesting day for me as a pastor. Because like we Christians get all jacked up at Christmas, or at, at Christmas and Easter, but especially at Easter, and we're waving our hands, and if there was a tambourine, I'd probably have been playing it up here while they were singing their songs, right? And we get all excited about Easter, and I think that there's like good reason to get excited about Easter. If you're a Christian, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to show you, hopefully, through this text, some more of reasons that we have to be excited uh, this morning. So I know that we're going to have those folks here, and I know there's always going to be a few people who kind of like, maybe you're like, oh, Easter, like I used to go to church when I was a kid at Easter, I think I'll go back, or somebody invited you, and maybe you're here because you're kind of like inquisitive, or something like that, you have some questions, or some general interest, hopefully today you just, you hear some things that will get you to thinking, uh, and help you to continue to consider what this relationship with Jesus is all about. Like, we really believe that if you're here this morning or if you're watching online, God has you on a spiritual journey of some sort. Maybe you haven't, like, come to that place where you're ready to call yourself a Christian and uh, you haven't, like, you know, placed your faith in Christ, but you're here. And that means you're on some level of a spiritual journey. So my hope for you is that you'd kind of like maybe think about the, what's the next step. Is it some more exploration? Is it thinking more about these claims of Christ? And then there's always two or three people that show up at church on Easter because they heard that churches give things away at Easter. Anybody like that here today? Oh, I'm just kidding. All right? Yeah, I got somebody in the back, right? Well, we got good news. Uh, some churches give away cars. Some churches give away iPads and big screen TVs. Some people give, churches give away like uh, video game systems for the kids. So if you look under the seat right there, right in front of you, you'll find nothing. You're going to find absolutely nothing. But I do have some Bibles. I think there are a few left. If you'd like a Bible, you feel gypped if you didn't get anything here, I'll tell you what. Grab a free Bible, and you can say that you went to church and there was a free giveaway. That's fair, right? God has something way better than any of that for each of us this morning. God has what Peter, at the very last verses that she quoted, this is the good news that was preached to you. God has good news for all of us this morning. The good news is that the, the tomb is empty, that we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus, and that because we have resurrection hope, there are some other things that are true in our lives. And so I want to share each of those things with you. We're just going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to see what resurrection hope gives us. And so in verse 3, you're going to see that, that resurrection hope gives us something to celebrate. And if you don't have a Bible, the words are on the screen there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's like a, a celebration. That's a cheer. The guy who wrote this, Peter, is, is cheering right here. He starts this whole letter and this is a letter that was written to some people in some really difficult circumstances. And he just starts out with a celebration. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Where does all of our hope come from? From the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
If we were up here and there was like still Jesus was still on the cross or the, the tomb had the stone still rolled in front of it, no hope. Why be here? Why show up? I'm going to tell you, this guy Peter, if you're not familiar with this guy who, whose name is on this book, Peter was actually a really close friend of Jesus while Jesus was doing his earthly ministry here. And Peter was there on the first Easter. Scripture records, I think it's John's gospel that records that Peter and John actually got into a, like a little uh, foot race to see who could get there first. And John won, but then John stopped before he went into the tomb, and Peter just ran headlong right into the tomb, found nothing there. He was totally blown away. If you've seen The Chosen or if you've read the Gospels, preferably the latter, but if you've seen The Chosen or you've seen the gospel, read the Gospels, you know that Peter was a dude who had some issues, right? Peter had some baggage. He had some carry-ons. He had a lot of emotional stuff going on in his life when he met Jesus. And Jesus changed him a little bit at a time. And Jesus worked in his heart. Some of you might be here today and you're like, man, there's people in the Bible. I can't relate to them because they were like crazy. I'm, I got issues and they were all perfect. Like the story of the Bible is jacked up, messed up, weird, broken people, right? God's perfect work through imperfect people. That's kind of the story of the Bible. You read some of the best people in the Bible and you're like, wow, that'd be daytime TV right now. Peter was one of those guys. And when Peter was a young man, he struggled with anger, he struggled with pride, he struggled with a lot of the same things that we struggle with. But by the time Peter writes this letter, and the Holy Spirit inspires him to write this letter, he's an older man. He's walked through a lot of life. He's walked through a lot of struggles, but he's walked with Jesus now for a lot of years. And I love how he's writing a letter to a group of people that says that they're like exiles. They've been exiled for their faith. And he's writing a letter to these people to give them hope. And he starts out with a celebration. He starts out by saying, blessed or celebrated is God. So let me ask you this question. What's the, like, the last thing that you celebrated? Now, if you're not familiar with church, sometimes I'll ask a question. You don't have to like, yell. You know, that could get embarrassing for all of us. Okay? But think about it. What's the last thing that you celebrated? My nephew's third birthday party was kind of cool. Maybe you celebrated somebody's birthday. You celebrated a new birth. You celebrated the news of a new birth. We tend to have that going on around here a decent amount. Maybe you had a celebration of life for someone who passed away. They had walked with the Lord for a long time, and then they passed away. And you had a celebration of life. Maybe you celebrated getting a new car. Probably none of us celebrated the final four, did we? That was a basketball tournament that happened last weekend. Does anyone know about that? No, not really, right? We thought we were going to celebrate the opening of the Major League Baseball season, but that doesn't seem to be going too well. So our celebrations have been a little muted, right? You can tell a lot about people by the things that get them excited, by the things that they celebrate, by the things that they're pumped up about. As you can tell, I like Jesus and the Bible. I kind of get pumped up about that, right? God has given us something to celebrate. Here's what I want you to know. Like, we can celebrate a lot of things in life. And some of those are very good and very meaningful things. But we have something as Christians to celebrate that has substance. A celebration with, like, real substance. This is something a little different than, like, I got a new car, and I know in, like, you know, a couple, a month or so, I'm going to have to start actually paying the payments on that car. Oh, no. We have something to celebrate that has real substance. And he talks about what that substance is in that verse. He says this. He says that uh, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's going to talk about God's great mercy. Now, I'll tell you something that you don't want to hear this Easter. I'll tell you about mercy. Most of us are people who, like, we want justice, right? We want things to be fair. How many of us are, like, fair people? Like, not fair, like the spring fair is coming up. That's a different world. But we like things fair. Can I see your hands? Come on. I know there are some of you right there, right? Give me what I'm entitled to. Give me what I deserve. When I don't get what I deserve, I get mad, angry, upset, frustrated. I want what I deserve. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. And that's something we should all be happy and excited about. Right? We're justice people. I want what I deserve. This isn't fair. This isn't right. Give me what I deserve. You know what the Bible says we all deserve? It's called the wrath of God. And you can read about it in the end of Revelation, among other places. It ain't pretty. There's a lot of fire involved, right? Not a good thing. You say, well, I don't deserve that. Oh, really? Because Romans chapter 1 says that the wrath of God is being revealed against mankind because they could have known God and they chose to reject God. Yes, as a matter of fact, we do all deserve the wrath of God. God's grace, when we talk about grace, is giving us something that we don't deserve. God's mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. And at the end of the day, what God is saying when it says according to his great mercy is that the greatest gift that God could give any of us is not giving us what we deserve. If you're here this morning and you're still breathing, congratulations. God's not giving you what you deserve. Say thank you to God. Thank you, God. I don't get what I deserve, right? And, and, and this will bother some of us because you're like, no, I'm inherently a good person. Really? Let me pull out the Ten Commandments, and we'll see how many of those we can mark off the list. Because for some of us, like, we realize that that's a to-don't list, and some people think that's a to-do list. At the end of the day, the good news of the gospel is you don't get what you deserve. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, here's the problem I have on Easter Sunday with the born again thing. For all of us who are like church people, you know, we do this whole church thing every week. We're like, oh, yeah, born again, big deal. Like, I, I get that. And for some of you, you like, this is your first or second time at church. You're like, born again. I, I don't understand that concept, right? What does that mean? Born, like, so I got to like be born and then I got to go back in and come back out again? How does that work? This is one of those Christianese kind of terms that Christians throw around thinking that everybody gets, and then other people are like, that sounds really weird, and I don't know what it's all about. So I had the opportunity yesterday to experience birth. Not of a child, not of my own child. They're all born. We're good. But we went to visit some friends in Centralia, and they have a hobby farm. And so all the parents and, and all of us were hanging out, eating, doing our thing. And the kids come running into the house. We've got babies. I'm like, I got all the babies I need. And they're teenagers now, so we're good. The goats are having babies. I'm like, they're like currently having babies or like the babies have been born or like they're going to have babies like in a few weeks after I leave. No, they're like on their way out right now. One's on the ground, one's on the way out. I'm like, you guys go check that out. I'll be here, right? So we go down there. And sure enough, one little baby goat is laying on the ground, like having just been born, and the second one, halfway out. It's like, I've seen this on TV, but I've never experienced it firsthand. The gal who owns the place got the gloves, you know, gloving up. I'm like, what are you doing? You were just in, like, jeans and a shirt. Now you're in, like, coveralls with these gloves. What are you doing? 
Before it was all said and done, there were three baby goats. Go ahead. It's okay. Oh, my God. That's what I was doing, too. After they got cleaned up and came out of the, like, birth sack, which was really nasty. We'll talk about that at a different time. I don't want to ruin your Easter dinner. <laughs> I've already ruined mine because I'm just seeing it right now. Yeah. They had pigs, and you know what I'm having for dinner? Anyway. But these little babies come out, and they're so cute and adorable and precious. And I'm like, there they are. It's new life. It's new birth. It's amazing. And I'm like, you know what would be amazing if, if, if I could just, like, start over again, <laughs> right? There's that little baby lamb. No baggage, no emotional carnage, no sin, no problems, no issues, right? Like, wow. When Jesus told the religious leader, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, that in order to inherit eternal life, he had to be born again, he was talking about, like, spiritually starting over. What he was saying was, you, you don't need, a, like, a better version of yourself. You don't need, in, in some way, to clean yourself up. It, this isn't about, in, in some way, like, I figure things out, and I start doing the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. This isn't somehow, like, I work my way toward being a better person or any of those things. When the Bible uses the terminology of being born again, it's talking about a spiritual rebirth, a fresh start second chances, all of the things that are related to that. But it's talking about spiritual life. And it'll say, you, you, like, you were dead, and now you're alive. For the person who becomes a Christian, it's like, in a weird way, that goat that's, like, born. And it's like, you're reborn. Does that mean that all my baggage and carry-ons goes away? No. Because there's things that we have to work through and deal with in our lives. But what it does mean is that spiritually... 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Then my relationship with God, there's a fresh start. Then my relationship with God, like I have a new birth and I'm a new creation. The 1 Corinthians says. I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians, sorry. That's all that's related to having a new birth. That's something to celebrate. Like, we could stop right there, couldn't we? I could go have my ham. I won't. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. We sing that song. I love that song. When you think about living hope, and you think about the things that people put their hope in right now, did you know that hopelessness has always been like an issue in our world? In other days, we've called it things like despair, or hopelessness. Today we call it things like depression or anxiety, but it really stems from having a lack of hope in life, a lack of, of true something to live for. And so as we continue to think about, like, as you think about living hope, I want you to think about the fact that there's like a lot of stuff that we can anchor our hope in, right? There's a lot of different things that we can hope in. You've got like dead hopes, like false ideologies and like false religions and other ways of thinking about life that don't really result in hope you've got these false hopes like the relationships that we think are going to save us or we're going to make enough money and that's going to make our life have hope or i'm going to get involved with with this cause and give my life to this cause and that's going to bring me hope and then like over and over and over again we realize that the things that we put our hope in ends up like somehow letting us down and the question then is, like, where do I anchor my hope? And if you think about your life as a, as a ship, 
and the world around you and the things that you go through as a storm, like we need something solid to anchor our hope in. And Hebrews actually talks about this in God's word, that we need something that anchor our hope in. And the problem is the storms of life come and there's our ship being tossed and battered and we lower our hope, the anchor, and we lower that into like a relationship with somebody and that's going to like be our anchor and they're going to be there for us. And the next thing you know, that relationship blows up. Or or we anchor ourselves in our own self-will and our own self-power and all the things that I can do for myself and the next thing you know, that goes away. We anchor it in our money or our career or our hobbies or whatever. We, we have these things that we try to anchor our hope in. And at the end of the day, when the storms are at their worst, none of those anchors hold. But Scripture talks about a living hope. And your living hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is we have a living hope that we can drop our anchor in and that no matter what happens, that that anchor will hold. That the storms and the craziness and the carnage of life can come and do what it may, but that your anchor will hold. And this week I had a, a, a profound um, picture of that. As I sat next to the bedside of someone who's meaningful in my life and my wife's life, um, a family who was, when I came 20 years ago from the East Coast, uh, just a, a really important family in our lives, did youth ministry with us and all those things. And the wife, who's about 60 years old, just a few months ago, um, developed brain cancer. And she's on her way out. And I've been conversing with the family, the husband and the wife. And this was a guy, that the husband was a, has been a guy who I've always looked up to spiritually. And, and in a lot of ways, like just his, his calmness and his hope and his resolve, even before this. We talked this week, and he said, you know, it's going to be here real soon. So Lindsay and I went up there earlier this week, and I sat by her bedside, and I read these verses, and we talked about what does hope actually mean. And she's not able to even talk a whole lot, but her husband is there, and we're kind of conversing back and forth. And I told both of them that I have seen them as a picture of, like, resurrection hope, because even in the midst of this difficult time, they're celebrating the fact of the life that God's given them together. They're celebrating the fact of knowing where she's going in days or weeks and knowing that they'll be together again. All of those things are pieces of resurrection hope. The only reason that she can sit there and, and, and not be totally beside herself and that he can live and take care of her and do those things and not be totally blown away is because their anchor is in the living hope of Jesus Christ. Do you know not everybody has that? Right? Some of you who are nurses or doctors or people work with people who are at end of life and they're struggling, and you see that there's not that hope there. It's because that hope is only found in Christ. Christian, I want you to know this morning that there is something to celebrate. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure about this Christian thing. I want you to know that because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can have something to celebrate. Not only that, that's only the first verse. Not only that, but verse 4 says that we have something to look forward to. Verse 4 says it like this. It says, resurrection hope gives us something to look forward to. It says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here's a question for you. When have you, like, looked forward to something... And then you got the something, 
and then the something let you down because it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Has that ever happened? This is one of those chances. You can be like, yeah, that happened to me one time. Uh, a few people have been disappointed. How many of you have ever been disappointed at anything in life? Oh, okay, good, right? Right? I want a boyfriend. I want a, not me. I want a boyfriend. I want a boyfriend. I want a boyfriend. That's probably going to make it online, isn't it? That's going to be a meme. Not cool. You get the boyfriend, girls. You get the boyfriend, and then what happens? Oh, that was not what I was expecting. Total disappointment, right? I want this job. I want this job. I want this job. I got this job. I hate this job, right? I can't wait to go on this vacation. This vacation is going to be amazing. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be warm. It's going to be sunny. Oh, no, there's a frat party next door. Oh, I can't believe this, right? We all know what it's like to look forward to something and then to be let down. A couple years ago, we scheduled this big family vacation. We're going to go to Disney World, and it's going to be amazing and exciting, and we're going to love it. The girls are pumped. My wife's pumped. My mom was pumped. I was kind of pumped. We're all excited, we're, and we got the reservations for all the places that we're going to eat, and we're going to eat in the castle. It's going to be amazing, and we're going to go on these rides. And it's going to be so cool. We're staying at a place that had tree houses. You can, like, live in tree houses. I'm like, now I'm on board, right? Two days before we go, guess who came down with COVID? Oh, uh, yeah. I came down with COVID. We couldn't go. Two of the girls got COVID as well. On my birthday. Like, we're supposed to be in Disney for my birthday. I'm in my bed, as sick as I've ever been. I can't believe this, right? I thought COVID was a conspiracy theory. Like, what in the world? Total mess. Because we look forward to stuff, and then stuff lets us down all the time. But here's a different question. What if, like, just imagine, just suppose, you could look forward to something, and you knew there was no way it could let you down. Like, you could look forward, look out into the future and be like, I know that thing is going to be there, and there's no way it can let me down. What if that thing was of inestimable value? Like, it was worth way more than all of your stocks and investments and 401k and 403b and Roth IRAs and all that stuff. And it was of inestimable value. And you could look out there, and you could see it, and you'd be like, that's like what I'm shooting for, and there's no one that can take it away. Like, how would that change the way you live? Guess what? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That word undefiled is funny because it's unspoiled. And I like to think like imperishable and unspoiled. You ever go to clean out your fridge? Right? And you get in there, and you're like, that's liquid, and it didn't used to be liquid, right? This happened a few weeks ago, and I pulled out the, like, the, the uh, drawer with all the veggies. Can I tell this? Is that all right? Oh, it started now. I pulled out all the veggies, and I started pulling out the solid veggies, and then there, there was, like, V8 juice in the bottom. You guys remember V8 juice? <laughs> I'm like, where's the can that spilled? Oh, whoops, Right? Yeah, because stuff on earth like just perishes and it spoils and it gets nasty and funky. It's not anything to look forward to. But Christians, it says that we have an eternal inheritance of inestimable value, right? Like that's what you had to look forward to. And I love the fact that it says it's being kept in heaven for you, right? You're probably not Harry Potter fans, but they've got those little like goblins that, that guard the bank. I don't think they're in heaven. I'm sure they're not, as a matter of fact. But you've got something that is guarding 
and keeping your inheritance. And your inheritance as a Christian can't perish, and it can't spoil, and it can't be taken away, and it can't lose its value. The stocks can go down as far as they want, and real estate prices can go as south as they want to. Your inheritance, still at top dollar, amen? Some of you haven't been with me all morning. You're like, oh, I get that. Yes, okay, right? It's kept in heaven for you. And here's the thing. What we're looking forward to impacts what we pursue, right? What I'm looking forward to impacts what I pursue. A couple weeks ago, we read a verse, and it says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is kind of just a different way of saying that same thing. What I look forward to in life, if I look forward to just retiring, and I just look forward to having enough money to make it, I'm in trouble. But if I look forward to something much greater than that, it impacts the way that I live my life. Resurrection hope means that I have something to look forward to because it means that I have a spiritual inheritance. It's called eternal life. That's not just eternal life someday, somewhere. Eternal life is a quantity of life in, in glory in the future. It means a length of days. But it also, eternal life, is a quality of life right now. Right? Some of us are just living with not very much quality of life. Eternal life is quality of life right now. It's like you get the inheritance and you get to start spending it ahead of time. And it's never going to run out and it's never going to get worse. That's what we have to look forward to as Christians. Verse 5. Not only do we have something to celebrate, something to look forward to, but we have something to live for right now. Verse 5 says it like this. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I love that we get to hear, like, in verse 5, that, like, our inheritance is being kept in heaven. But then verse 6, or, sorry, verse 4, then verse 5 says, Now, by God's power, we are currently being guarded through faith. It's talking about God's power. It's talking about God's protection over our lives right here and right now. And here's the thing, when I think about like power and, and protection, what I realize is that when I feel safe, when I feel secure, when I feel like there's like a power that's protecting me, it gives me confidence for the way that I live my life, the way that I walk and, and do life. An example would be this, last year, some of you know, our oldest daughter at 15 at the time um, asked if she could go on a missions trip to Tijuana, Mexico. Now dads, like, what, what do we all say? No, right? You can't even go to, like, southern Washington, let alone, yeah, no. You're crazy. So she talked more and persisted some more, and said, like, just think about it, please, whatever. And between her and the Spirit of God and I don't know what else, somehow I was like, well, maybe I'll consider it. But the first thing that I did is I went and I talked to the guy who was leading the trip. He's a pastor at a church. I know him. And he told me this is, like, I think he said the 13th trip that he went on. So immediately, my confidence started to, like, raise just a little bit. Okay, he's not new. He's been there before. He said he was bringing his 10-year-old daughter. Like, well, okay. So I started to, like, to develop a little bit of confidence because, oh, there's going to be a level of protection, and, and that's going to be great. But what really helped me is when he then informed me that the mission group that they work with in Tijuana hires security. And there are large men who used to be convicts, and then they gave their life to the Lord, and they still know how to use machine guns, but they know how to use them for Jesus. 
and I started to feel a lot better. I started to feel a lot better, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think they have tattoos that say that, machine guns for Jesus or something, on their knuckles, right? But I got to see, like, pictures of these people. They didn't really have machine guns, but I think they had other weapons. But it started to give me more confidence in the fact that she was going to be protected. And then when she got down there, we, like, made sure that she FaceTimed us and showed us where she was at and all of that. And they were in this compound. It's like 25-foot, you know, steel it looked like a military compound. And I was like, okay, I feel better. Are you going to be there the whole time? I can get you whenever I want? She said, oh, no, this is just where we stay when we're not doing ministry. It's like, well, you could just not do ministry for the week and then come home, right? But everywhere they went, they had these security guards with them and people who knew what they were doing, them guiding them to the right place, keeping away from the wrong place, looking out for the things. And there's this picture, I, I've shown it before um, with this illustration, but my daughter sharing her testimony. And there's about, I don't know, 40 or 50 homeless people that are sitting on a curb down there in Tijuana, Mexico, and they're all sitting on the curb, and my daughter's there with this microphone sharing her salvation testimony. And as a dad, like, I'm like, that's amazing. That's so cool. Do you know what I like most about that picture? She's not standing there by herself. And she sent the picture and was like, Dad, check this out. And it was her and, like, all of these people, and there was nobody else around. What would I say? I'd be a little freaked out, wouldn't I? Like, where's the guys with the machine guns for Jesus? Because I thought they were going to be there with you, right? No, all of these people were there, were around her, and were surrounding her, providing her with power and protection and safety and security. And it impacted the confidence that she had as she shared her testimony and, and did ministry there. There's a power in this text that, might I submit, is stronger than machine guns for Jesus. It says the power of who? Right? It doesn't say the power of Pastor Lauren. That'd be pretty cool. But it doesn't say the power of Pastor Lauren. It doesn't say the power of Pastor Steve. It doesn't say the power of my own personal well-being and my own personal might. It doesn't say, like, look how many Bible verses I've learned. Right? My wife is amazing. And she quotes a chapter of the Bible up here. And I'm like, I don't even remember the references. But it's not even the power of your own ability to remember Bible verses. God's power. You are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. There are past implications, and there are future implications. There are present implications for the fact that you have something to live for right now. Christian, here's the good news this morning, is that there is resurrection hope no matter where you're at. Because some of you come in here this morning, and it's not very hopeful, Right? And maybe some of you come in here with a lot of like false hope because your hope's in yourself and all the things that you think that you've accomplished. But if you're a Christian, the resurrection hope, something to celebrate, something to look forward to, something to live live for right now, your resurrection hope only comes from what it said right there at the beginning, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That if you've become a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you have resurrection hope. Then you can be able to live out of that hope. And I'd like to say this to you this morning, specifically. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that hope is not your hope. Like, I don't want to stand up here and lie to you and be like, oh, you can have... The-. No, that's not your hope. Because there's this word that's right there in the text in verse 5. It says, through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed. Faith. And there's kind of 
In that song that we sang, Living Hope, the first line says, How great the chasm that lay between us. In just a minute, the worship team is going to come forward, and Melissa is going to actually sing a song, and you're going to listen to it, and you'll see the words. But there's a line early in that song that relates to the same idea of there being like a, a chasm, a space. And what this is, is, is it's an allusion to, to an old presentation of the gospel. It's called the bridge illustration. And this will help you to, to think about what I'm talking about. The illustration kind of goes like this, is that like God created everything, and God created man to live in relationship with God. And so in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, like man and God are tight. They're together, mankind, men and women, they're, they're living in the relationship with God that, that, that they were intended to have. They have true hope and true meaning and true purpose. But then in Genesis chapter 3, what happens is that God, who gave man a choice, God gave man a choice, and in Genesis chapter 3, man chose to sin, to rebel against God. And in that moment, this chasm in the relationship between man and God was created. That sin broke the relationship between man and God. And so you have man on one side of this great chasm, and you have God on the other side in, in the word picture. And the idea behind the, the picture is that like the, the chasm is the payment for sin, separation from God. And that no matter how hard man tries to, to work his way over, to build a bridge there, to do enough good things so that God will close the gap or whatever it is, that God in his justice must punish that sin. Right? But God in his mercy has not done that in that way. That there's this chasm that exists, and you have man, and that you have God. And no matter how hard man tries, he can't make it to God. So what did God do? God came toward man in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the bridge illustration, there's a bridge that has to be built from man to God. There's a bridge that has to be built, and man can't build the bridge. So how did God build the bridge? How did God build the bridge? There's a cross, and if you've ever seen the illustration, the cross comes down and lays across the chasm, and the cross is the bridge, and the cross is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is that Jesus came as God become man and lived a sinless life, and because sin demanded a payment, that Jesus in his death paid the price for sin. When he said on the cross, it is finished, that's Good Friday, when he said it is finished, he had finished paying the price for sin. Your sin, my sin, our sins. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every time I try, I'm right in the chasm. But the cross comes across the chasm. The cross of Jesus it pays the price. Jesus died in our place for our sins. He went into the tomb. And historically, like real, not like just we're making this up. Historically, from the Gospels. Three days later, being God, he rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death. That's the only reason we can be here to celebrate. If you're a Christian, that's resurrection hope in the resurrection. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the cross, that there's no Jesus on the cross still. Jesus is not still in the tomb. That the cross has come down. That all your trying and working and trying to figure it out, all of your turning your back on God and not caring, that even in that, that the cross came down and crossed that chasm so that by faith you could just walk across the bridge. 
You place your faith in Jesus. You become a Christian. That's how you have resurrection hope. You see, we think like, well, we just kind of stand on our own side. You're separated from God eternally. But through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the cross makes that bridge. You walk across the bridge. You admit that you're a sinner, and you accept Christ as your Savior. You're like, do I need to, like, you know, do a bunch of good works? Do I need to give you my bank account number? What, what do we need to do here? You admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from God, and you accept Christ for your salvation. That's how you become a Christian and begin to experience resurrection hope. I'm going to have the team come forward right now. They're going to sing this song. Melissa's going to sing. They'll invite you to sing in just a minute. And here's what I want you to do. If, if you're here, like if you're a Christian, you're like, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I don't know what kind of business you need to do with God, but you probably do. Maybe you spend a few minutes just praying right now. Maybe you've been out of church and out of the Jesus thing for a while. You made a profession of faith at some point, and it's time to like start moving back toward God. Let him do that work in your heart right now. Maybe you're here today and you like need some hope, and you've seen it. Like pray and thank God for that. If you're not a Christian, like would you consider like making today the day? This isn't about you and me, you and Lauren, you and anybody else. It's about you and the Lord. While you're in your seat, you can pray. God, I'm a sinner, and I admit that. I admit that my sin separates me from you, but I accept Jesus for my salvation. In that moment, welcome to the family.